of a traditional cold open, I'd like to read a poem titled Ode to 07. Twas the 20th of July, late as can be. Twenty or so boxes lay stacked in front of me. The library was packed, excitement was high. Sans those who think he may possibly die. The minute hand drew near twelve, pulses started racing. As I hovered over a cardboard with a pocket knife, I was bracing. Midnight arrived, cheers rang out through the stacks. They hollered as far back as the magazine racks. My steady hand immediately seared through the tape. An eager teenager impatiently watches, mouth agape. The orange sky hue of the thick novel is suddenly unfurled. I give it away to the girl, and in seconds, the rest of the world. After a night of games, trivia, and all sorts of passionate fun, you'd think the book's author had surely won. That night, I'll never forget, but in bittersweet fashion. As today, I can only think of her, currently moping in her mansion, bickering on social media with rude little taunts, preaching about a distorted world that she wants. Her bigoted views have brought up such rapid shame that it's even hard for me to say her name. Today's episode is about unbuilt Harry Potter, and I still think it's interesting fodder. I don't expect this to be manna from heaven, but God, I wish it were still July 20th, 2007. Because, damn, this sucks. Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt and Unrealized Think Park Podcast. With me today, as always, is my co-host Ryan Dorman. Are you are you keeping cool over there? Um, well, it's not as bad as it is by you. It's yeah. like it's like a nice heat wave here on the east, but I'm I'm not jealous at all of yeah. what you're going through right now. It's uh, <laughs> yesterday was one one fifteen. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It was it was really bad. Uh and it's it's ungodly hot right now too. I'm usually I do this in my uh, in my room with a little light on to keep uh to keep myself uh at least with some, you know, light to mm-hmm. see things because I have blackout curtains in my room. But it is so hot that I've turned my lamp off so I can just keep it just a tiny bit cooler in here. So uh, I'm kind of do this in the dark, uh, which is probably probably for the best for this episode because uh, unfortunately we are delving into some mired stuff today. Hmm. <laughs> uh, this is this is the episode that I kept pushing down the line, like <laughs> it was on the schedule, and I saw it, and I was like pushing it down and pushing it down, and I saw it, and I'm like, you know what? It's time, finally, time to reconcile with it because you know I don't think. I don't think it's going to get any better. I just don't. If anything, like it's even less popular of a topic to. Right. So it should be okay. Mm -hmm. And and what's interesting is that I did not realize how much this coincides with so many, so many things we talked about this summer. So Hmm. uh, that'll be interesting. Um, But before we do that, I thought we would talk about. Uh, a recently kind of open attraction. It was a soft open attraction at Universal and uh, some of the controversy that is going along with it. Uh, so uh, before we get into that, uh, there is this. All right, here we are for actually got built and our actually got built today is about the full title of which uh, because universal studios loves their full titles they're very uh, long titles it's not just disney universal's into the game too it's called illuminations villain con colon minion blast now this attraction replaced shrek 4d at a uh, Universal Studios Florida hmm. and uh Shrek 40 uh <laughs> did did we talk about Shrek 40 I don't even remember if we talked about Shrek 40 I think we did very briefly because I think we, we talked a little bit about uh just generally the closure I don't think we mm-hmm. talked that extensively about it Yeah uh what did you ever see Shrek 40 
I owned it on DVD. That's right. Yes, yes that's <laughs> But right. I never that's actually right. saw the actual uh, stage mm-hmm. show. Okay. Well, the interesting thing about this building was that Shrek 40 opens in 2003, I believe. And it's so popular that they take this building, which used to be the Alfred Hitchcock show, and uh, they had extra space, so they built another theater. So the Shrek show had two theaters for a very long time. In about the, probably about the 2010s, they realized that the Shrek show was no longer as popular. So they took one of the theaters, they closed it, and they made it a Halloween Horror Nights show uh, building for like mm. just Halloween Horror Nights. And when it came time to close this attraction in 2022, early 2022, they decided to make it an attraction that had uh, enough space that it could uh, fill, you know, the old attraction space, but also enough space where it can also be a Halloween Horror Nights show building. So there was probably a confluence of things. Probably they wanted to keep costs down. I know, uh, I know several people who have kept tabs on this, uh, including uh, the permit princess, Alicia Stella. And she, uh, she first recognized this as the villain con uh, trackless ride. So the original idea was that you were in a trackless vehicle with blasters and you were going to go bounce around villain con booths. Then they reduced the budget to where it was a walkthrough attraction and they were going to give you a blast and you were going to go between the booths and uh, perform tasks at the booths with blasters. Well, that didn't exactly work from a throughput capacity because how do you manage that? So Universal Creative put their minds together and thought, mm, is there any way we could make this where it's not a ride and thus people don't have to go on a ride track and we don't have to build a bus bar where we could save some space, but we can control throughput. And the idea goes to these uh, moving walkways that are new. So if you go to an airport, you recognize the concept of a moving walkway. And but these moving walkways are special to where they're in aquariums and you hop on it and it curves so it can curve and uh, snake around. So these are rooms that are much smaller because they don't have to fit a gigantic ride vehicle in it, but instead a narrow moving walkway. And thus we get to Illumination's Villain Con Minion Blast which has soft open. Now, I want to make that very, very clear. This is soft open, a.k.a. technical rehearsals. So they're still figuring out some bugs. And the reason why I say that is because before the show, I sent over you a link, a very controversial link. Oh, is that one of the guys who wasn't supposed to be recording? (laughs) you You just gave it away. Yes, he made a recording. A villain con. The, you know, this is funny. We're talking about a ride, all well, quote unquote ride, ride all about villains. But may he be the villainous, most villainous one of all. Uh, one Mr. Kyle Palo, who dared, he dared to go against Universal's sign that said no recording and no photography. Now, what are, what are your thoughts on this villainous deed? Eh. <laughs> I have better things in life to to worry about. Apparently, if Universal didn't like immediately kick him off the premises and ban him, I can't imagine they care that much. No, no, man. It it, it was this was disrespectful. To, I, yeah, there's to that Comcast. weird etiquette thing that everybody's like, you're not supposed to do it. Just because they said don't do it, you're not supposed to. This is disrespectful. It's incredibly disrespectful. And me saying this right now, I mean. Right now, I'm, you know, I'm going to be enemy numero uno of the vloggers out there because I am advocating for 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 bad boy stuff. Uh, one where one takes out the common item that is in their in everybody's pockets and aiming it at a wall, and the yeah. wall has themed entertainment in it. I because Comcast, the multi billion dollar company, has said not to, and how dare how dare I? Before, uh, because you know what, these are the rules. And I mean, look, look. If I if I take a video of this, I'm a, I'm not as I'm as bad as somebody who who just 
murders people because those are I don't think anyone too. said that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, the, the truth is that if they're unenforced rules, it's very weird. The rules aren't being enforced. It doesn't really seem like anybody cares. I don't know why they even put the rules up in the first place. And there exist precautions you can take as a performer, right? You know, you go to concerts nowadays that are no phones and they require you to lock your phone in a yeah. in a bag or something. Or you could even use lockers. I don't know. It's very weird to me that anyone cares about this at all um, when like they're universal is doing nothing to enforce any of these rules. <laughs> no. Well, apparently there was a team member who at one point went no cameras, no recording. And I mean, that, that was just as bad as, you know, the, the police with their, <laughs> with their tear gas <laughs> In front of in front of a uh, in front of a protest. Jesus. Uh, okay. All I'm going to say is that look, it, it's not that big of a deal. People are weirdly overdramatic about this stuff every time, and I think it's stupid. Who cares? I do want to say there's probably a reason why Universal's probably a little nervous about the videos being filmed i will give them this i did send you over that pov did you notice something about one of the rooms when they were filming Uh, this if you are referring to the fact that the screen consistently kept glitching is that the one yes no there's a bunch of stuttering really bad Mm -hmm. stuttering and yeah it does not look favorably upon them i don't know how they anticipate to fix that before the release Mm -hmm. um i don't know when it actually officially opens we have no date that's the thing we have no date uh, so I, I, what I am shocked of is that they finally opened it up. Um, I had heard rumblings that there were a large number of problems. This attraction was supposed to soft open in June, but they ran into numerous issues uh, with the play testing and mm-hmm. with the technology and the fact that the gameplay is very confusing. And the reason why the gameplay is very confusing should be very obvious. Now, when you go on a shooter attraction, there's two types of shooter attractions. You have Buzz Lightyear and Midway Mania are pretty much what we're going to be using as our two different things. Okay. You would agree those are kind of the two different versions, right? Sure. Okay. What is the common thing between Buzz Lightyear and Midway Mania? It's screens, right? Between Buzz Lightyear and Midway Mania? Yeah, it's the screen. Buzz Lightyear has like one screen. Well, I mean, for the most part, it's, you know, it's it's an omni-mover attraction where you're going through and there's a bunch of targets and you're hitting mm-hmm. them. And they're yeah. physical targets, right? They're physical In targets. Buzz Lightyear, they're physical targets. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And then Midway Mania, they're screens. That's correct. But what is the one thing that makes Midway Mania or Web Slingers or one, or one of those work with the screens? It's the fact that there's only two people or four people interacting with the screens at all times. Right. right. That's right. Now, VillainCon, how many people do you think are interacting with that screen at once? It looks like between like five to ten. Like you can oh. really fit quite a bit of people in would, one room i would disagree with that number i think it's more even higher than, uh, i think it's even higher like 10 to 20 oh yeah mm-hmm. 10 yeah. to 20 no it seems like you have complete range in the full room to aim at one of these screens and that's a good point the computation power of recognizing when one of the guns are pointed at the screen then reading the reticle and then firing information back into the mm-hmm. gun or just to the central computer yeah, it does not seem like the they can handle all of that. Yeah. There's there's a scene late in there where it's bell bottom. And so the idea is you're going through all of the vicious sex to compete to see if you can join them. And each room is based upon a different one of the vicious sex, if you're familiar mm. with the Minions movies. Uh, yes. And the final one is, well, not the final, final one, but the final one of the vicious six is bell bottom, but that screen is completely indecipherable because there's all these, this particles that is going on and people are just shooting like crazy. And it feels like they don't even know what they're shooting. And that adds to even more confusion because there's, there's, it's, it's completely indecipherable. And I've asked people, Hey, is it like this? Like, you know, outside of just this POV recording. And they're like, yeah, it pretty much is. 
And I don't know if they know how to control that. Mm. And that's what I find is fascinating about this is the fact that they've managed to create an attraction that probably should have been the uh, the Buzz Lightyear idea of it's a bunch of physical targets mm-hmm. and that way it creates less confusion rather than this screen melee where yeah, you're, that's true. Yeah, you're going like crazy on this one specific spot. Right. And it seems like the all of the like computation is done internally in the Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. So like the 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 cart probably has like some kind of like a photoresistor and it detects when it makes contact with one of the targets and the target mm-hmm. just lights up. So it's not like you're having to essentially run a massive video game with a variety right. of controllers. Mm-hmm. That's what I would imagine. Yeah. Um yeah, it just doesn't look Aside from the that issue, to be clear, none of the visuals look c- coherent. Okay, they're like pure stimuli. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it's like completely impossible to distinguish anything of what's happening on the screen. And maybe mm. that's just because I'm not in the room. In the like room, perhaps yeah, with the gun, that's my the brain would kick people, in. But a lot of people who have written it do have good things to say, uh, and they think it's a little bit more fun. But I will say, from looking from an outside perspective, it does look inexplicable. It really does. And I'm not even like criticizing it from like a themed attraction perspective, which a lot of people, the Disney fans, are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like going, ah, it's the screens again. Oh, it's boring. It's conveyor belt. Like, this is so cheap. And, uh, you know, whatever. It's, I'd agree with that. Okay. <laughs> As long as it's fun, I don't mind, but it does look like it is inexplicable from looking from an outside perspective. I think that like it reminds me of, I don't know, it reminds me of Supercharged, it reminds me of the Jimmy Fallon ride. It mm-hmm. just looks bland and yeah. it seems more forgivable because it's like a young kid's ride and it's like an A ticket. It's not even maybe a C ticket. Um, oh, I but, don't know if I would say a ticket. That's a little mean. I would, <laughs> I would call bit. this a C ticket for sure. I don't know though. The fact that you have to stand up the whole time seems really lazy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do sympathize with people. It is unique. It is I think unique. it's unique. It, it doesn't feel like it's unique in service of the actual ride. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's unique in service of saving a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that. I think there was a better way of probably going about this. And I think the worst thing that they probably did out of everything is the fact that they decided to scrunch this attraction in service of Halloween Horror Nights. Really? Okay. This is to be clear. This is Universal Studios, Florida, a, a theme park that currently has two abandoned sound stages that were mm-hmm. formerly Nickelodeon studios. I, I just don't get this. I don't get why they're like, well, we need this space for Halloween Hornets, and I, which I know it makes a lot of money, but I think, I think the guests would have liked it better if they had expanded upon this full space for a more full size attraction. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. I think that mm-hmm. like, Especially with what you're saying about there just being a significant amount of open space in other parts of the park. Um, it does seem a little uh, – it's harder to forgive this decision for the ride. Um, like, you know, oh, we're limited on space. And it's like, well, not really. You just decided to make a cost-effective move to split right. the location. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Halloween Horror Nights is big though. To be completely clear, it is another Stranger Things thing. Yeah, I just, (laughs) I I just think there was there was a definite alternate solution. That's what I absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and uh, I will say, I know what's coming down the pike for Universal. In fact, by the time this episode comes out, I'm pretty sure you will know the next move that Universal is making. I'm just gonna say that. Is Uh, it the Fast and the Furious thing? No, it's not. Oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you offline. Just now, in I'm, case it doesn't happen. <laughs> they're announcing a new Minions ride. Oh, again, again. <laughs> they did open a Minion Land, which is looks very nice. They did. Uh, with, yeah, and that has 
uh, Alicia keeps getting this. It's banana soda. I was interested in that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm interested in that. It's supposed to taste like, what was it? The banana Laffy Taffy or something like that. And she keeps getting it. That's what drives me nuts. It's like every time she like goes there, she'll have it in her hands. And I'm like, damn it. Every time it looks so good. I'm mad because she keeps teasing with it. We don't have it here on the West Coast. This is not fair. I feel like I've had to like curtail my 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 sugar intake. And I know they'd have like five of them. Right. Yeah, I I will say very briefly, very a lot of people are criticizing people are criticizing this ride as saying, well, it's just a C ticket. It's not an E ticket. Why do all Disney fans think things need to be E tickets? Mm -hmm. But to be clear, Buzz Lightyear is not an E ticket. Yeah. Right. And I think this is worse than Buzz Lightyear. Um, You know, honestly, I think that this is a interesting shift and retooling of the Frontierland shooting gallery. Yes, in that perfect way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think that that justifies Mm -hmm. the quality, right? No one's looking at the Frontier Lady ticket as anything better than a minor positive addition to the park well you can also maybe tell a, what happens during the frontier election <laughs> that's a good point well it's a lot of physical stuff yeah yeah i think that like there must have been a way to do this where you literally lock the doors in a room like you segment it like you push mm-hmm. people through i think that was kind of the uh probably one of the ideas going yeah that yeah, i think would have made things a little easier because you could you could deactivate and activate guns very simply mm-hmm. and it's like now you're in this room now you're in this room now you're in this room um, kind of similar exactly to how Midway Mania is structured currently. Um, and maybe that's how the walkthrough would have went. Like you would have walked into a room, the doors would close, you'd do yeah. your shooting thing, and then go. Web Slingers is also similar. Could you could you imagine one where it was a moving walkway, but the moving walkway would shut off and restart, shut off, restart? That would be hell, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it might be imagine things breaking. The moving walkway, I think, is a good way for it not to break down. But I would have really liked to have seen this be a much more, I don't know, secondary attraction. I guess there's currently this is near Minion Mayhem, right? Yeah, it's right across the way. It's the now, idea see, is it creates kind of like a illumination yeah. area. That I think makes it feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, I uh-huh. think I'm more accepting because it's a secondary attraction. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess, wish that this was, this belongs in Image Works. You know, not not in a, a separate thing. But mm-hmm. maybe the food is the main yeah. attraction. Really quickly, uh, we were uh, we've been planning a trip to Disney World for like a year, mm-hmm. and our Epcot day is the was always September 22nd. And we learned that that's when they're going to kick off the 100 years of Disney celebration at Epcot. So it's going to be hell. It's going to be hell. Yeah, that does seem like it'll be hell. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. (laughs) You know what's crazy is they also didn't announce the Moana Moana thing. I thought that would be like the opening day for that, but no. It seems like it seems like it's almost done. Like given by what I've seen. Yeah, um, it seems like it. It should be done, yeah. but oh gosh. And we won't even be there to see the the little Mickeys on the spaceship Earth. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll get a photo of Minnie and Mickey at uh Imageworks. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't know Minnie and Mickey were gonna be at Imageworks. This is yeah, for the me. yeah, oh yeah, you didn't see that's the thing. They announced on September 22nd, we're gonna be doing all these limited time things. Mm. They're gonna have a like a weird Mickey balloon popcorn bucket. <laughs> really? <laughs> that they're gonna be selling starting that day. Wait, when was this announced? This was announced the other day. <laughs> oh. Oh, you know what? I, I did see pictures of this, but I thought it was just why is this at Epcot? I'm confused. <laughs> Because they have, they need to get people in the park somehow. Oh, how, that's how unfortunate. <laughs> uh, I guess if they don't announce the Moana thing, there's literally oh, it's a Mickey. Okay, but they've been selling those Mickey balloon popcorn buckets forever. I guess it's yeah. just a different color. Different color. Yeah, uh, I see. Yeah. Okay. okay. I just wanted to mention that really quick. All right. So anyways, it's time to move on to our main topic. Uh, and if you want to stop here, considering the topic title, I don't blame you. Anyways, mm. uh, we'll be, <laughs> let's go. Let's just do this. 
All right, here we are. Unbuilt Harry Potter. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, let's, let's be, okay. Before we learned what we know about J.K. Rowling, what was your opinion of Harry Potter? I didn't have one. You didn't have one. Okay. I, I read the, I think that the, the, the books are like pretty good kids books, but they never, they didn't do anything for me. And then I watched like all the movies once. I never rewatched them. Yeah. I saw all the movies in theaters. Um, oh, damn. Uh, because, well, I mean, the family would, would drag me because my sister would read Harry Potter. My friends would read Harry Potter. It's just something that like whenever it came out, just people went to see. So it's like. All right, I guess I better go see it. And I saw all We know them. why you, you really saw it, Ryan. Don't worry. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I saw them, and I was like, all right, okay. Um, I really like Goblet of Fire, and that was about what? it. What? Yeah, that's my favorite one. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming yours is Prisoner of Azkaban. It's- um, mine's probably The Sorcerer's Stone, actually. Oh, really? So I really like, like the kind of whimsical kids movie Okay, thing. so you like the Chris Columbus, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I like the the puppets and stuff like that. Once mm-hmm. it, it gets too serious for itself on yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban onwards. Okay. That's understandable. Um, And uh, uh, before the episode in the cold open, I did uh, read a little poem. And that was referring to uh, the fact that I, I when I was in my first years of college, I worked at um, one of our local libraries, and uh, we had a when Deathly Hallows came out, we had a midnight release, oh. and uh, that was God is such a great memory. People were so excited, and you know it seemed like Harry Potter was a great franchise full of great morals and great values, and God, God, I miss those times. Uh, the, the books might be, maybe not. Uh, well, I mean, we have revisited them. Uh, people have. So, who knows? I mean, yeah, they're anti-Semitic, yeah. maybe. but Yeah, they're probably a little <laughs> racist. Probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> okay, but let's, let's begin talking about the unbuilt Harry Potter attractions. Uh, in the late 90s, Disney Publishing Worldwide was handed a manuscript for a book called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Their president rejected it. I think it was too British for American audiences. Scholastic Publishing turned around and scooped the rights up, retooling the first book's title to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which went on to be one of the biggest bestsellers ever. The book tells of a young Harry Potter, orphaned at a young age, living with his cruel aunt and uncle when he gets an invitation to attend Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Turns out, Harry is a wizard with magical abilities and sets off for a seven-year-long journey, meeting best friends Hermione and Ron as they learn magic and combat against the evil Lord Voldemort. By 1999, three books have been released with a fourth on the way. And I believe that was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's right. Uh, the, and the fourth was Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Uh, the Walt Disney Company initially attempted to buy Scholastic outright, but their bid was declined. See, they just keep going for it. They just really want that Potter. Uh, then they shifted to securing the film rights. However, they ran into a one gigantic roadblock. Now, if you cannot stand the discussion of this person, I totally understand. Shut off the podcast. I can't blame you. Uh, yet she's completely and wholly necessary to understanding the story of Disney's failure for acquiring Harry Potter. Of course, we're talking about the author of the Potter novels, J.K. Rowling. Rowling insisted on having an all-British cast and crew only filming in London and to have the final say on creatives and casting. Disney, thinking these demands were outrageous, decided to lowball the offer and assumed no other studio would accept. Rowling walked when Warner Brothers more than gladly snatched up the film rights and began pre-production on Sorcerer's Stone, coming out approximately two years later in 2001 and smashing box office records. I do remember, uh, have you ever seen this trailer for Monsters, Inc. that went before Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? No, I don't. I mean, maybe which okay. one is it? So the movies came out at the exact same time. And there's this great trailer where Mike and Sully are playing charades. And hmm. of course, the one that he picked out was Harry Potter. Here we go. Okay, Sully, hmm. your turn. It's a, it's a book. book. A book and a pencil sharpener. It's, your, it's a movie. 
Two words. Okay, two words. All right, first word. Stinky. It's the st- it's a stench. No. Okay. It's a Harry. 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 When Harry met Sully. No. You're very hairy, and you're digging. Uh, you got dirt. Dirt. Harry. Dirt. Dirty Harry is not this. No. It's a it's a pot. You're Harry flower pot. You're a hairy farmer. Harry gardener. I, I got it. The sound of music. Where you going? Wait, where you going? Come on! Wait, I got it! Harry Potter! And it is a hysterical trailer. You absolutely have to see it. Look it up. It is so funny. Uh, like I at the end of it, there's like these titles that come up. It says playing at a theater near you. And then it goes, like right next to you. It's really, really funny. That's a ballsy move. Yeah, it's it's a great trailer. Barbie should have done that. That's what we're missing nowadays. Uh, that's the thing. You should have the pink atomic bomb. And- <laughs> uh, Honestly? Yeah. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Uh, the film series began another life for the franchise, introducing iconic visuals, John Williams' perhaps final truly iconic theme, and catapulting Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson into immediate stardom. Sorry, Rupert Grint. Uh, <laughs> that same year, Eisner and the rest of Disney approached Rowling about the theme park rights, but Warner Brothers actually beat them to the punch. They signed an exclusive agreement to open up a Harry Potter exhibit at Warner Brothers Movie World in Australia. Australia, and they would retain the theme park rights for as long as the exhibit stayed open. And you can kind of see it there. There's a Hogwarts Express right there and kind of mm-hmm. like a flat show building and the, the Weasley's car, the flying car there. Uh, the movie magic exhibit was a rather lame walkthrough where guests entered platform nine and three quarters, walked down a small recreation of Diagon Alley, saw Hagrid's hut with a cardboard standee of Robbie Coltrane, and entered an owlery with real owls. An update in 2002 added the Weasley's filing car and a forbidden forest section of the tour. Popularity for the attraction quickly died down as it underwhelmed Australian visitors, and the attraction was shuttered in 2003 to make way for a Matrix exhibit instead. I've seen videos of this. It's really, really, really lackluster. Like, Mm. uh, it kind of reminds me a bit of the current Japan and London studio tour attractions they have right now, but Mm -hmm. even lamer. Mm. There's also something kind of similar at... Uh, just you know, we we talked about it the Warner Brothers Studio Tour in Hollywood as well. Uh, it was just really nothing special. In, in 2004, the Harry Potter movies were still making money with the release of Prisoner Azkaban. Disney made another play for the theme park rights as Warner Brothers gave them up, and they signed a letter of intent with Rowling. WDI came back with a pitch. And this would be located in the former location of 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea in the Magic Kingdom in Fantasyland. Again, weirdly enough, all of our summer podcasts oh, yeah. coming together, you know, you have the uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with, you know, the Atlantean Encounter, and we also have the uh, Lost Continent that we're going to be discussing in a bit. So it's, it is weird, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, a mini land would sit where guests would enter a Scottish field. On the left will be a care of magical creatures petting zoo with an animatronic buckbeak and other creatures. On the right was a snack cart called the Leaky Cauldron, serving the usual Coke products. The main attraction would be located in a large rock formation, up which top sits a small facade of Hogwarts in the distance. Now, this kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'm trying to. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm waiting for you to put the pieces together there. Uh, (laughs) It's very much as like be our guess. Guests would enter and be whisked into a magical portal and wind up at Hogwarts. There they would board ride vehicles and enjoy a shooter attraction utilizing wands, making magical spells occur. After the ride, they would enter a Harry Potter-themed gift shop. Again, all of what we're discussing coming together as a shooter attraction, you know. Though a shooter attraction with wands is, does sound kind of fun. I will, I will agree with that. It um, seems uh, difficult to aim. Actually, funny enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> funny enough to what we were talking about before. Oh, well, uh, I mean, they do have those interactive wands at um, Universal right now. And 
Some of them seem hard to aim. It more seems hard mm. to glide. Like you have to do like a specific like hand movement and say the right words to make them work. Um, really? I, I've that never done them, it. but I've watched people do it. And it's like there's like these little pendants on the ground that show you how to move your hand. There's got to uh, be someone standing there like hitting a button or something. Apparently it does it via the Microsoft Connect technology. How does it do? Oh, I guess there's a Microsoft well, or there's a microphone in there too. It's it's uh it's done via the the motion capture stuff. Sure. But right. how do they pick up the words? Maybe oh, oh sorry, microphone. I made a noise. Oh, yeah. microphone. Oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Uh Rowling hated the pitch and asked for revising. Specifically that the Leaky Cauldron should have its own restaurant and guests should enter into Hogsmeade. WDI bristled but agreed to revising, which they did four more times. On their fifth pitch, the Hogsmeade Village was installed, but in the petting zoo's place was a flat ride where the guests rode on spinning sorting hats, which the Imagineers derisively refer to as the Dumbo Door. <sighs> like, what are we doing here? Like, I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Rowling furious that this was a cheap joke to Disney, reportedly threw the plans off the table and stormed out of the room. I'm not the biggest fan of J.K. Rowling, but uh, yeah, I kind of, I got to agree with her here. That is a little bit of an insult. Yeah. You know, what what are we doing here? It's like you're being handed a billion dollar franchise and a spinning sorting hats attraction called the Dumbledore. You know, this is very much 2004, Paul Pressler, Cheap Eisner, Disney. Like, this is yeah. just, this is just, come on. Come it on, what are we? It make you think, come on. though, that like, you know, uh, from the knowledge we have of that era of Disney is that everything was really cheap and everything was really punny and annoying. And that was probably because of the budgets. But it does seem like there was just a culture of not giving a shit about anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. You, you have to like be... Figure out what you're doing with like a pithy budget yeah. that you know Eisner's hanging down because he's pretty much currently going through a decade long mental breakdown after mm. Frank Wells died. I mean, that's pretty much what's going on if you look at the you know yeah. the you know Eisner lineage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now people are like, you know what? Even that, even those days of Eisner, not bad when compared to you know. You know, crappy old Bob Iger and his uh, <laughs> and his strike boosting ways, and it's like, Relatively. yeah, I mean, Iger isn't great, but I don't know, I don't know if uh, I'm willing to go th- that far. I mean, Eisner did lead, uh, you know, some horrible cheap decisions that led to kind of deaths in terms of sa- safety at the theme park. So mm. uh, I don't know if I kind of agree with that yet. Uh, okay, so. Why wasn't it built? Uh, in 2005, Rowling and WB met Universal Creative in a hotel for a secret rendezvous. Universal drafted up their own plans, a light retheme of Merlinwood in their Lost Continent section of Islands of Adventure. And there you can see the uh, uh, concept art for what this would look like. It's not great, but it is certainly better than the Disney proposals. Uh, so guests would enter Hogsmeade during the summer, shop and eat at Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes and Honeydukes, but still be able to visit Potterized versions of the Enchanted Oak Tavern and still ride Dueling Dragons. At the edge of the land would be a bridge that would take guests under a hill where atop a f- small facade of Hogwarts was located. Inside would be a state-of-the-art attraction where guests would fly on a broom via Kuka Arm technology. Rowling was blown away by the presentation, but confessed that it was still not exactly what she was looking for. Universal, unlike Disney, didn't immediately walk away, but instead listened to Rowling's suggestions. So Disney and WDI, they wouldn't be like, what do you want? They would be like, oh, all right, um, okay, we'll be back. And then they would walk away. Uh, they spent four days holed up in a hotel revising the plans. Essentially, Rowling wanted guests to enter a film-authentic-to-the-book detailed version of Hogsmeade with a full-service three broomsticks and be able to drink butterbeer and encounter a near-full-size recreation of Hogwarts Castle. Uh, 
Universal said they'd be interested, and Rowling took Universal's pitch to Disney in the late 2005 when Iger was newly fresh taking over the company. Initially, WDI countered by offering Rowling an entire additional land just outside of Tomorrowland train path where Tron sits today in the work from there. So they were going to do like kind of like a, uh, a satellite theme park. Mm. Iger, however, shut the conversation down, knowing that they would need to spend save the money spent on Potter to purchase Pixar instead, with the fact that they would never outright own Harry Potter being a major caveat. He he ended the letter of intent, freeing Rowling to head to Universal. Universal announced the plans on May 31st, 2007 for a late 2009 opening, which would be delayed six months. And that would be the exact land that J.K. Rowling wanted in the first place. On June 1st, 2010, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter opened, replacing Merlin Wood in Lost Continent with the Ollivander's Wand experience, a full-service three broomsticks, the re-themed Dragon Challenge roller coaster, and the state-of-the-art Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, which took guests flying on magical benches. The land was an enormous success and represented just how blind Disney was to the monster that Harry Potter was in terms of a bankable franchise. As the film series in the book came to a close, the themed areas became the new life of the Potter fandom. In 2014, Diagon Alley opened at Universal Studios Florida with the roller coaster ride Harry Potter and Escape from Gringotts. Butterbeer hit sales in the hundreds of millions, and Japan followed suit with their own Hogsmeade in 2015. Hollywood also received the Hogsmeade in 2016, and a brand new Hagrid themed roller coaster opened at the original Wizarding World in 2019. In 2025, Epic Universe will see even more Harry Potter in the form of a Ministry of Magic dark ride attraction that is yet to be announced, but is heavily rumored. Of course, Disney may have dodged a slight bullet as Potter entries in the main saga have not been received quite as well, those being the Curse of Child Play and the trilogy of Fantastic Beasts films. J.K. Rowling herself is mired in controversy for many issues, including her views on transgender persons, which is such a massive topic that it currently has its own Wikipedia page. This has also led many to revisit the Potter texts as they read as children and notice that many misogynistic and racist ideas lie in it. For example, Harry's first crush is the only Asian student at Hogwarts, and her name is Cho Chang. Not great. Uh, while debate has de- merged with these ideas, especially towards the fact that Rowling seems to be projecting her own domestic trauma onto infringing against trans rights, the Potter franchise doesn't seem to be lessening from a theme park's perspective. That said, it is worth discussing whether or not Disney would be better off owning Harry Potter, leading us to the what if. What if the Disney version of Potter was built, and what about the universal iteration? I will let you uh, lead on the conversation. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there's not much to say here, um, because the Disney version sucks and is really awful. Mm-hmm. It's cheap. Like you and I were saying, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's just none, none of it screams positive to me. And I couldn't in any like good conscience say that Disney cheaping out, especially at that time on Harry Potter would be a good creative decision. In fact, if anything, I think it would just be a lazy brand implementation of something they don't outright own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is interesting listening to J.K. Rowling talk about her demands because essentially what she demanded and forced into actively changed theme parks this is probably true. forever. True. Yes. Um, like it, it's going to be very hard for anybody to create anything that isn't exactly like walking into the intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Right. Arguably it changed like all of Hollywood forever. But yeah, it's um, yeah, true. Yeah, it's very you know, true. Like her force demands of these basically a cinematic universe, right? A long running series mm-hmm. um with callbacks and like a final climactic moment of what is eight films total, and then theme parks all involving walking into the world. That is just the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. So you know, even Disney with Galaxy's Edge had a hard time because it wasn't tattooing one to one. Yeah, right. Anyways, um, yeah. So with regard to the Disney pitch, I uh, if it was built, I think you would probably. I don't think you would ever see it close, but I think you would see people dissatisfied with the translation. Yeah, I agree. I also yeah, think it would absolutely. have hampered the, the films 
because I think you would have had a really kitschy carnival boring Harry Potter land as the films are getting darker and more Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, assuming those stayed on the same pace yeah um because it would feel like a weird mismatch you know mm-hmm. uh it would feel very odd yeah and there's one thing about the universal attractions in that they all for the most part have an element of severe peril and that mm-hmm. is what is missing from a wand shooter attraction. Although I don't doubt that Universal didn't want to do something similar as well. Mm. But the thing is, is that all those Harry Potter attractions do have those severe elements of peril that kind of go hand in hand with the book series as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that very kind of interesting. Uh, you know, the Forbidden Journey, the Hagrid, the Gringotts attraction, and soon to be this Ministry of Magic attraction, they all are not not babied, I guess I would should say. They're they're not kind of like talking down to the audience. They are really pushing for adventure and thrills. Right. Where I don't think Disney really wants to do that. I think they really wanted to, you know, go for the, you know, the more discover it portion of it and while universal has that they have that in different ways they have it in lesser ways where they have it with the interaction active wands and stuff like that or just going and exploring hogsmeade but disney wanted to make that more of the attraction itself and that that is the major difference and of course they also didn't want to do anything that was film accurate because well we don't have Warner Brothers, Harry Potter. Why? Why would we advertise? Why would we Disney advertise that? Right. And, no, the, the, yeah, yeah, it would be counter to Iger's synthesis mentality at well, that no, point. No. Especially, hold on. This this was more of well, yes. Oh, you mean the former one? There was the there was one. Eisner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sure. Same. You could say the same thing, right? right. I, I think perhaps they would have been more comfortable borrowing from i would imagine if disney did it they would probably be leaning more towards the books and it's clear that that's not what rowling was looking for um if disney was going to develop this they would because the books are not exactly the same as the film right even aesthetically right. yeah they're not and, and that's the thing i was, can't you wait for max's harry potter series <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, it's a genius idea to double down and do it again yeah, but that's whatever. David Zaslav is an excellent executive. Um, no, I think that uh, I, I, I really hesitate to say that Disney's would be all that successful, especially as the movies got more popular, because audiences would demand things be changed, changed, excuse me, to fit that tone shift that happens in the later books. Yeah, and I don't think Disney would be available to do that, especially with its placement in Fantasyland. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see it lasting a very long time. Really? Okay. So what about what about this like uh, we don't know much about the satellite mini park? I wonder what that would have been like. Yeah, I can imagine that what they were thinking is well, you pitched Universal pitched this. Let's take it. Let's like run with exactly what they wanted. You yeah. know, we'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. And maybe it would have been more at the very least, it would have featured one-to-one recreations of locations from the books and movies, yeah, I think. it wouldn't have had the same ride because Universal mm. at that time did have the exclusive rights for KUKA arm technology. Mm, sure. And I, you, you probably, maybe it would have a dark ride. Maybe it would right. have borrowed mm. the wand yeah. you know, for the Hogwarts thing. Maybe, yeah. That's possible, yeah. But it would have at least had the Leaky Cauldron and Three Broomsticks and Ollivanders and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like all the one-to-one stuff that maybe she was demanding. Right. And I think ultimately, um, well, on one hand, Iger probably made the right choice because I think that owning Pixar did a lot for Disney. On the other Agreed. hand, with how he's treated Pixar and how JPEG treated Pixar, perhaps neither was a good option. <laughs> uh, eh, eh, we still got some good movies out of it. so Yeah, good movies out of it. That have received like no theater traction and no audience traction <laughs> are doomed to yeah. a failing streaming service <laughs> right. that'll probably cause the collapse of Hollywood as we know it. Um, uh, okay, Tom Cruise, settle down there. Look, the actors are being, uh, what did they say? 
unrealistic. What did he call them? Yeah, they're they're this disturbing. It's just yeah, they're the yeah. requirement that um you know food be required. I can't believe can't believe they're being so disruptive. <laughs> what is a strike supposed to do, anyways? Yeah, look, okay. yeah, I think that uh I think that business decision probably helped Disney, but in terms of what a like a uh, an independent gated off section, like you're saying, like a satellite park. I think it would be like that. I do mm. think it would be primarily exactly what Rowling was looking for. A lot of these one to one recreations, because um, I can't imagine satellite park means like anything bigger than a land, a land and a half. No. Yeah, you- it's kind of. A, I think it was supposed to be kind of like the size of two lands. Okay, so maybe mm. something like Galaxy's Edge. Technically, in terms yeah. of uh, maybe a little surface bigger. area, maybe a little yeah. bigger. Yeah, I think that I want to touch base very quickly on the Universal one because that one I think is really neat. I okay. think that it a lot of the concept art I like because it more reflects the covers and the Chris Columbus movies more. Well, warm. Uh, mm, you do know that the Wizarding World. Is based on the Christopher Columbus movies, right? The Wizarding World, I think, takes, uh, in my opinion, more of its tone from the later movies. Okay, so it is technically it is supposed to be revolving around. Okay, so it's supposed to be revolving around the timeline of Goblet of Fire, right? Which is not, which is the darker stuff, right? Right, but but the design of Hogsmeade is directly taken from Alan Gilmore's design of Hogsmeade from uh, Sorcerer's Stone and uh, and Chamber Secrets. Yeah, I think the same thing can be said of Diagon Alley, which is mm-hmm. near one-to-one with the first movie. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the, the color tones and okay. the, the, the gene- general theming is much darker. Again, mm-hmm. I think there's that overwhelming sense mm-hmm. of Dread. I don't know when I was yeah dread like when I was there it felt didn't feel like oh this is a working place with death eaters it felt like mm-hmm. this is a rundown dirty old place that's currently on the verge of being taken over by Voldemort <laughs> things like that um, yeah do you feel that same way about Diagon I do actually I don't really? I, okay. I don't personally care for either of them I will really? say dirt well, I really that. like I really like Diagon. I, I, I don't, I'm not a big Harry Potter uh, guy. I understand that, but as yeah. far as themed entertainment, Diagon As far Alley, as themed entertainment goes, I found- pretty, was pretty blown away by Diagon Alley. It's neat. I, I was more interested in um, Galaxy's Edge, to be honest with you. Okay, all right. Uh, I just felt that Galaxy's Edge was much more, felt more lived in. I thought mm-hmm. Diagon Alley feels like a playground. Um and there, and, but I, I, anyways, that's neither here nor there. We can get into that yeah. <laughs> another time. I just think that the the concept art, the original concept art, is much warmer, and I think maybe reflects some of the cover art of the original books. Okay, um, and also feels very early Universal. I guess. I yeah. Don't know how to put that into words? I mean, this is basically just taking what what you're looking at is basically Merlin Wood, and you're yeah. looking at it with a little paintbrush taken over it. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that I like that. I don't know if I would like it in in practice, uh-huh. but I do like the idea of something a bit less dark, um, which I know is the whole shtick now. Yeah. For everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what? I uh, know. I'm just like, I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't know it's like part of this is like what if what if this happened well i think in both of these cases both companies would be less successful yeah um you know i think jk rowling was into a winning formula which is just take the movie and bring it to the real life true and uh, no Uh, you're you're completely correct now you're a big fan of Avatar Pandora. I am, yeah. Okay. So would you say that Disney got it right there as in forms of because they did announce this in 2011 which was pretty much their this was their first answer to The Wizard World. Mhm. So I would you that, would you say that they got it right? Uh or? no. Okay. Um I really like Avatar the the world of Pandora but by they picked a place that's prettier to look at than it is to engage with. Mm-hmm. No, um, I agree with that. Yes. And, you know, the problem is, is that is let's look at Diagon Alley, for example, is the draw of Diagon Alley 
the Gringotts ride and then walking around the town, or is it shopping at Ollivander's and the chocolate candy store and the magic store and then the Death Eater store? What's it called? Nocturne Alley. Nocturne Alley, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that if you were trying to compare, I don't think Disney has done anything as successful as Harry Potter. Or sorry, I don't think they've mimicked Harry Potter in the way that they've wanted to yet. Yeah. Because I don't well, even I think that Galaxy's Edge is the same experience as Harry Potter. So if you're trying to compete against Harry Potter, Pandora is a bad competition. There's two rides, one of them that's kind of weak. Um, and like, what, two stores, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. There's, there's a restaurant, a store, and then a, a walk-up stand. It's not nearly as dense. Like, is it a visual competition? I think so, yeah. Um, but does it have like the content competition? No. Yeah. Uh, I guess, and and, you know. and they they really hit upon a willing formula with butterbeer, which Blech. I mean you don't like. I don't it's, like butterscotch. Okay, that's why. Okay, yeah. Which, I like uh, the potted one. That one was good. I had hot, and mm-hmm. I had, I think I had hot potted and cold. Hot potted and cold. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did really like hot butterbeer. I loved. It was okay. Yeah. It was it was actually pretty cold when I was there. Surprisingly, yeah. so it actually okay. did it did what it needed to do. Um. Yeah, I it's not hated bad. Butterbeer fudge. That was disgusting. Is it just so butterscotch much. fudge? No, it is. It's butterscotch fudge, but they also recreate the foam that's on top oh, of it. Oh, no, thank you. So it is the sweetest goddamn thing you will ever eat. I couldn't eat it. Like, and I have this pretty big sweet tooth, and I could not do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The I, me- I remember going to uh, maybe Three Broomsticks, whichever one's in Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley is Leaky is Cauldron. Leaky Cauldron. Yeah. I went there and I remember feeling like pretty. I was like, oh, yeah, this is just standard British food. Um, yeah. Which is like gross. But I think that, no, I, I think that if you're, the question is like, you know, does, has Disney competed with Harry Potter yet? I don't think so. This, bringing Harry Potter to them wouldn't have done it. If anything, mm-hmm. it would have made it so that they would never have to compete with Harry Potter because they blew it so quickly. Um, okay. You know, it, like if they built their Harry Potter, it pales in comparison so hard to what was eventually built. Mm-hmm. That The problem is, is like this build it or not is build it or not the farm from DCA. And it's like, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, that's exactly the way I felt about it. It's like. Mm-hmm. Do I want something really, really shitty or something that is the absolute 100% improvement upon yeah. all of this? <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I don't want to build this. Yeah. Like, and I, maybe the attraction, maybe the, the I like the universal one because it's a little bit warmer and a little bit more pleasant. But like mm-hmm. the Disney one. I don't know. This is just another sign of Disney's complete mismanagement and failure. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of their overconfidence. I mean, just the kind of like, oh, yeah. eh, we're not going to listen to you. It's yeah. like, come on, really? Really? We're doing this? Like, I mean, she kind of did sell these books like like hotcakes. I, I think you should listen to her. And that ultimately ended up being correct. And you spent how many years now trying to chase her mm. through this and you still can't do it. And that's, that's the thing. And I, and you know, universal does also have the problem and you know, it's a question of whether or not they, they dodge the bullet. And I don't know, like the question is, it doesn't matter morally or not, but it seems like, it seems like Harry Potter is still bringing in universal money. Oh, Harry Potter will always be one of the most profitable franchises ever for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think it will be a very long time before Harry Potter becomes a bad business decision. Yeah. And J.K. Rowling is so divorced from the core Harry Potter narrative. Like, I know that she wrote it, but I don't think that she... I think she has more connection in the minds of people to the recent stuff, the bad stuff, I don't. I honestly don't think people think J.K. Rowling when they think the old books. That's just me. Okay. But I think that it'll be a pretty long-standing brand for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Universal might have to deal with some problems in the future. Um, but I, I think that I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I would say anyone dodged a bullet by not working yeah. with with her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as she's not like a public figurehead. Right. She's just a, a a stand between in between a lot of money and no money. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. People do have issues with, you know, 
giving money to her via buying a a, a thing of butterbeer. And, yeah, and I, 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 and I get it. I, I do really get it. And I do find, I find the JK Rowling thing almost kind of fascinating because unlike most bigots, this one has like this really strange, clear, like psychological bent to it where you can actually like from just looking at it so transparently, like, derived from her own trauma mm-hmm. that I, I find it kind of almost fascinating. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is, and I know that I, it doesn't excuse what she says. It doesn't, but I do find it fascinating that it's, you know, there's, there's a clear straight line that you can look at it and, you know, examine with it and go, this is a very broken person. And Mm -hmm. this is, you know, you know, the old adage of hurt people, hurt people. And I I do find that kind of interesting. And I don't think it like really gives me any like sympathy towards her. But uh, it is it is unfortunate just how much all of that trauma has kind of warped her to sort of almost kind of try to tank her own franchise and it's like you would think that so many so many executives and stuff who are making money off of this would see this and go hey look go see a therapist and shut up like that's the executives that's the don't thing. care right executives but the thing is, probably is that agree i don't with think that. well that's the unfortunate <laughs> thing is that yeah. we haven't gone to a point to where people don't find this enough to dissuade them and that should be clear enough to where they're going to likely announce, you know, Ministry of Magic, and there won't be that much beyond some, maybe some Twitter whining, and that's it. And I, I do find that unfortunate that 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 we've we've come to this place in, you know, you know, defending anti-trans rhetoric. Uh, but to be clear, yeah, uh, this it is maybe difficult. Like- yeah. If you um, have like a serious moral problem with purchasing butterbeer at Universal or J.K. Rowling gets one-tenth of one cent of every purchase and you go on Twitter and you tweet about it and you make ad money for Elon Musk, then you're <laughs> an idiot. You're a moron. And no, 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 no. But isn't it to where you only get that ad money if you're a verified user or something? You like don't. That? Yeah, I don't but know. he still gets yeah, the money. Okay, so he still gets the money. Okay. <laughs> like if you, I, I think that if I actually am very interested if anybody on like Twitter is like, I have a hard time buying butterbeer because I'm afraid of supporting J.K. Rowling, tweeting from a platform from a guy who disowned like his own daughter. Yeah. Actively pushes anti-trans and racist rhetoric, lifts mm-hmm. up alt-right and actively Nazi people on the on the platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that it's going to be it's hard. Um, it's hard to recognize that like your decisions might put money in the pocket of someone who's doing things who hurt mm-hmm. the people you love. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd ask people to be consistent if they're worried about that. No, no, that's true. Said, and and that's the thing. It's there. You know, and and in all honesty, there's no ethical consumption in capitalism. That's a thing. I would just, I would, I would sleep. I would well, look, sleep better buying a butter beer if the executives just told Rowling to shut up. That's, that's true. All. Yeah, yeah. There's no currently no executive at Disney who's still probably getting paid out of a long contract mm-hmm. over. Yeah, his decision, his, his actions. Yeah, right, Pixar. right, exactly, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's kind of the thing. It's like, again, I just I've. I find it fascinating. It's where yeah. it, it is is such a long and troubled road that the Harry Potter franchise, which once again, like you know, fifteen years ago, it was it felt so good when I opened those boxes on that midnight release and I gave it to those kids and they were so happy. And now it's like if I try to look back on that, there's that unfortunate tinge of you know what we know now. And I just, I, oh, I, I, I will know. say, I think that if you were a kid in the nineties and two thousands and you read a mm-hmm. story about a kid who was ignored by their parents, like found, found like identity in like found right. family. And, and that, no, that's true. They can never I, I think take that, that away it, from you. They, they the can best never thing you can that, do. Yeah. yeah. The best thing you can do about Harry Potter isn't to 
you know, destroy the books because I think that they're actually pretty well-rounded kids' books. The best thing you can do is take Harry Potter from J.K. Rowling. Yeah, um, oh, no, that's true. Yeah, they a, they can never take the way that you felt reading those books as a kid, especially uh, if you have anybody felt that. validated by them. Um, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, is J.K. Rowling's other pseudonym someone who did <laughs> gender <laughs> uh, <laughs> like electroshock therapy to gay people? Yeah. Um, my God. Yeah. I don't know what you do there. Either way, I guess Disney avoided it. And yeah. they worked with James Cameron. So, you know, he's not, <laughs> he seems cool. Uh, he seems nice. That's true. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're, you're completely right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so, but anyways, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty much in agreement that the current Harry Potter stuff is way better than the ones proposed and those are better left off in the dust uh so with that said uh (laughs) with that said i think we come to a close on uh reiterating all this stuff and untangling the unfortunate aspects of disney cheapness and jk rowling yeah and that uh you know, hey, um, I'm glad that, you know, people go into to Wizarding World that they have a cloak on and they go and they get a butterbeer. Hey, more power to you if it makes you feel help. Just don't just don't uh, don't stand with J.K. Rowling, please. Just no. please don't do that. That would right. be that would be awesome if you didn't do that. All right. So we will be back in two weeks. But however, on the 25th, there is a holiday coming. And it is a merry little holiday of the Christmas in July where you will make me watch something that you have chosen. Hooray. And, and just going to give you guys a hint. Uh, if you guys were surprised, you might be surprised that Dorman prefers the Christmas Columbus stuff, which was which is a lot more lighter. <laughs> and uh, when you see what he is giving me, you'll be like, oh, uh interesting i stand uh, by that they're very similar yeah. the same reasons i like the christopher columbus stuff i like this year's christmas present <laughs> so uh check that out on the 25th but in the meantime please follow us on social media on twitter at unbuilt pod you can reach me at open mother's mail and ryan Dorman at open the Dorman. feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com and rate us on stitcher itunes or spotify or wherever you find this podcast we currently have a ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash unbuilt pod for three dollars a month you can get bonus episodes and for five dollars you can get your name read on the show we'd like to thank our current contributor joseph Antone. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to MuggleCast. I'm Eric Skoll. See you guys. See ya. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. I shouldn't have said that.